But I hope you guys enjoyed your break. Uh, I had a lot of fun over break. Um, I got to go home and visit my family. Uh, at my parents' house now, we have 11 nieces and nephews all under the age of eight. It's chaos. Uh, just mass chaos. It is not restful. Anybody have home, like you guys went home and it wasn't, like you're supposed to rest over break, but it wasn't restful. Anybody like that? Yeah, that's like that for me. It wasn't restful. It was rejuvenating, like it rejuvenated my soul to be with my family, but it wasn't necessarily like restful, you know? One of the things I love to do when I go home is uh, I, I have the privilege every year for my, for my mom, I take care of the main course for Christmas Eve dinner, which is, uh, which is actually uh, prime rib. And so uh, I love prime rib. I love cooking prime rib. And it's become like a ceremony in my house. Uh, it's like borderline, uh, it's borderline religious uh, because I like really, really take it very, very seriously. And uh, I believe I have a picture of me uh, and we are, oh, there it is. All right. So there's me with my, now this is a really proud moment. All right. Uh, you guys laugh, but that was cooked to perfection, my friends. That is a kosher salt and pepper crust and garlic crusted prime rib cooked to the exact temperature of 128 degrees in the middle of the roast, meaning that we varied from uh, medium to medium rare to rare all the way into the center. This is an art form. It takes years, sometimes decades to master. And that is why I believe I have another picture uh, with the kids huddled around the chunk of, there they are. Okay, so this is them pretending like they're helping me. This is all my nephews. I, this, is, this is what manhood looks like in the Pavic household, all right? Like, it's my job as an uncle to make our, my nephews care for the, their prime rib and be able to tend to their prime rib, speak words of life and encouragement over their prime rib. We massaged it together. And we're like, you know, this is, this is how you, this is just, you know, you have to become friends with the roast before you actually put it in the oven, right? It actually starts week in weeks in advance as you, you know, you just kind of like work up this, you know, whatever. So now, uh, this is, so over the course of the last several years, I, I think I have a picture, an excerpt from my meat diary, actually. Uh, no, next one, next one. There it is, there it is. Okay, this is just a couple excerpts from my meat diary. This is my prime rib, prime rib journal. I take notes on what went well and what didn't go well, what oven I used. Yeah, I'm obsessed, all right? Now, uh, I recently, for Christmas, I got a brand new toy. It's called, uh, it's like an it's an in-oven Bluetooth meat thermometer, all right? And go, go to the next page. I'm able to get super scientific with my, this is ambient temperature as compared to the actual internal temperature of my meat. I can set a target temperature. If you click on the notes, I can actually take notes on what went well. So now this is my new meat journal, all right? And, uh, and as you can see, I don't know if you can tell how long uh, this meat had cooked, but it took five hours and 52 minutes to cook this roast. I, you know, that's a great question. Uh, and, you know, it, it was about 34 seconds uh, when I cut the actual, actual thing. So this is, I take this very, very seriously. But now here's what's crazy. Now go back to that original picture of the prime rib cut up. Okay. Here's my biggest pet peeve, all right? Prime rib is supposed to look like this, but some people are like, oh, it's pink, right? 
if you ever come over to my house and I cook you prime rib and you say, ew, it's pink, just never come home. Never come back, all right? Just never come back. You can come back and we can like eat corn dogs together, but don't come back for any form of meat, all right? I'll never forget, I cooked prime rib for somebody and they looked, they got on their plate, they're like, ew. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I spent six hours on this, right? And you know what they said? They're like, do you, do you mind if I throw this in the microwave for a little bit? I'm writing about you in my meat journal. <laughs> We don't cook prime rib in the microwave, right? Prime rib, again, it takes a long time to cook a prime rib to perfection. A prime rib, you can't just stick in the microwave like a hot pocket and expect it to come out tasting the same. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that some things in life, the richest things in life, the things that are valuable and the things that are worth pursuing usually take a long time to pursue or develop in our lives. So often in today's world, especially in our spiritual lives or in our faith walks or just in what, where we are trying to find peace, we look for peace as fast as we can find it and as we want to grab it as soon as we can get it. The problem is, is that developing character in our lives, the things that are really worth pursuing, Developing character is slow, and it takes time. And we hate that. Oftentimes, I meet with students, they want to follow Jesus, they want, they want to pursue the Lord, but they want the Lord to make it easy on them. God, sign me up for whatever you have, but make sure it's something that I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and make sure it's something that I'm really, 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 really super jazzed about, Right? Often, students will meet with me, and they're wrestling through the call of God in their life. And they'll, like, spell this out. Well, Steve, I got this big decision to make, and, and this is what I'm thinking about doing. And often, when I meet with them, there is something in my mind that I'm like, want, I want to tell them, right? It's like, I think this is a terrible idea. Or, I think this is a good idea. Or, I think, I don't think you should do that. I think you should do this. Those thoughts go through my head, but if I just straight up go and tell them that, I haven't helped them in the process of slow cooking their character. I've short-circuited it. And often that's what they're looking for. They're looking for, hey, Pastor Steve, just tell me what I should do with my life. And I never tell them what to do with their life, and it drives some of you nuts. Because I'm like, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Yes, Steve, I have thought about this. Have you thought about this? No, I haven't thought about that. Why well, would think about that? See, my goal as a pastor is not to tell you what to think or, or tell you necessarily the specific thing to do. It's to teach you how to think, and it's teach you how to hear from the Lord so that in the long run, you know how to do that for the rest of your life. But finding the will of God requires us to wrestle through some things. Sometimes he doesn't give us a quick answer. Sometimes he makes us wait for our answer. Sometimes we, we want to get to a new season of life, and he says, not yet. Yes, I've called you to something, just not yet. In fact, if you look, I just squeaked there. Uh, in fact, if you look throughout Scripture, almost every single person who did anything significant for the kingdom of God had a season in which they had to wait for something. 
they had to go into the slow cooking process. Read the Old Testament. It is full of every single person had a season in which they wrestled through something for a significant amount of time as God slow cooked their character. So, what I want to talk about tonight is how to safeguard ourselves against microwave faith. Because often that's what we look for. God, give me the quickest path to freedom. Give me the quickest path to an answer. Sometimes this comes in the form of Christianity. God, what's this? What's like the least amount I need to do to follow Jesus? Other times it comes in the form of something totally different. Maybe we pursue a microwave faith in just good vibes or good energy or good feels. But my... What I want to propose to you tonight is that microwave faith will always lead us to less than God's best and or possible destruction in our lives. There's this dude in the Old Testament, his name was Jeroboam, and Jeroboam led an entire country into microwave faith, and it led to this nation's demise. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, but you would like one, we have free ones available, so come talk to us after the service. But Jeroboam was an evil king. He was a manipulator. His heart was hardened against God. And he was the ruler in Israel during a time in which the nation of Israel had split into two nations. There's the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam was the king over the northern kingdom of Israel. And he was really afraid. He wanted to maintain control over the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so he needed to find a way to undermine their character so as to be able to manipulate them. And he knew that in order to manipulate them and in order to like undermine their character, he was going to need to undermine where their character came from. So he decided, I'm going to undermine their faith, their Jewish faith. And I must get them to stop practicing their Jewish faith. And if I can get them to stop practicing their Jewish faith, then I'm going to get to do and get them to do whatever I want them to do. So listen to this plan in 1 Kings chapter 12. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David, that being like the south, southern kingdom. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will once again give their allegiance to the Lord and to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to the king, Rehoboam. So in other words, listen, if they continue in this long process faith, this slow cooking faith, this faith that develops character in their life, I'm toast. I'm out of here. They're going to see right through me that I'm a washed up and insecure, crazy, like not gifted king. And so I know what I'm going to do. After seeking advice, it says in verse 28, the king made two golden calves and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. What did he say? It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That takes too long. That's a slow-cooked faith. Let me offer you a microwave. Here are your gods, Israel, you brought up, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
One he set up in Bethel, and the other he set up in Dan, and this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one in Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines in the high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. Okay. I believe that if we unpack this, now some of you are like, what is that talking about, right? I'm not familiar with the Old Testament, Steve. We're going to unpack some things that Jeroboam did in here that we can learn from Jeroboam and say, okay, how do we ensure that we don't settle for a microwave faith? What's crazy is that sometimes we, sometimes, this is a side note, but sometimes we read stories in the Old Testament and we're like, that's really old and we're not really sure if like that's make-believe. Aaron and I were in Israel a couple months ago, like back in November, and we literally saw this temple that Jeroboam built. It's still there. I have a picture of it. Uh, Aaron took this picture. This is where this story happened. They dug this up and they found it in the area of Dan. Like, this is where this happened. This was a real story in a real place and real people being deceived in a real way. See, and you could take that picture down. Jeroboam knew the power of this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He understood that slow-cooked faith meant that they were going to remember what God had done. That that pilgrimage to Jerusalem was going to remind them of what the, how the Lord was faithful. That pilgrimage to Jerusalem was going to remove distraction. That pilgrimage to Jerusalem was going to allow them to be reunited with people like-minded in their faith who would encourage them to continue to press in to the things of the Lord. And so what he said is he said, no, 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 let's, let, I'm going to give you something that's way easier to follow. Let me help you do this at a more convenient place, at a more convenient time, with people that are easier to be around. And isn't that exactly what the devil convinces us of? Let me, let me help you pursue something that is going to be more convenient at a more convenient time with people that are going to be, they're not going to be bugging you about all that Christian stuff all the time. And so often God wants to put this, put us through a process. So I don't know where you're at tonight. But I believe that there are some people in here that have pressed against the slow cooking faith process in their life, right? Maybe for you, God, you know God is calling you to greater levels of responsibility in his kingdom. Meaning that there are some people in your life that you know you could be inviting to Chi Alpha or reaching out to or whatever it might be. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe for you, you know that like God's calling you to, to study his word and fall in love with his word. Maybe it's... Uh, you know that you need to, to develop dependency on him. Your prayer life needs to grow. Maybe for you, you've been feeling like you are in a dry spiritual season right now. And you're frustrated with God. You're like, what in the world? I don't understand this. And you're about ready to give up. Maybe you're running from something that he called you to do. Or maybe 
you know that he has called you into some form of training in which you will have to humble yourself and actually subject yourself to somebody else's teaching. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I actually want to do that or if I really need that. I think I'll just kind of shortcut that process. And maybe here tonight, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And tonight, as we walk through some of these things, Christianity is going to make just a little bit more sense to you. And as it makes more sense to you, it's going to make sense to say, Jesus, I want the real thing. And I'm going to make a choice to follow you. So let's pull three lies of microwave faith from this passage of Scripture and make sure we're not listening to any of these. The first one is this. God just wants things to be easy. God just wants things to be easy. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem, Jeroboam says to the people. That is way too long of a journey. It takes you days to get there. It takes you days to get back. Some of the portions of the road are not super safe. You might get burglarized, right? Uh, you never know. There might be wild animals along the way, and you're going to have to take work off for that. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So just stay here. Aren't we kind of doing this with, like, online church, guys? Sorry, that's like a side note, right? It's too much for you to get out of bed this morning. Just stay here, right? God doesn't, God just wants things to be easy is a lie of microwave faith. Now, I'm not saying that following God is like this arduous, heavy thing that we're just, like, walk around all the time and be like, this is the worst, right? I'm not saying that. Following God is, is full of joy, but here's where we get confused. God is not a God of ease, but he is a God of peace. The Bible promises peace in whatever the circumstance. Jesus promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he doesn't say that we won't have a yoke on. You see what I'm saying? And if the devil convinces us that, he, that all yokes, all responsibility for God is bad, that, that, that this needs to be easy, a lot of times we've convinced ourselves that if something sounds hard, it must not be from the Lord. Ah, I don't, I don't want to go to counseling to deal with my depression. I, think, I don't think I really need that. That sounds hard. God, if you want to heal me, you could just heal me, right? Well, maybe God wants to heal you through counseling. It's going to take a while, and that's okay. Or maybe there's an addiction in your life. And you're like, ah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that addiction, I want it to go away, but I'm not really willing to do the hard work of getting rid of that addiction. Which, again, might require counseling, accountability. People will come alongside of us to help us with that stuff. I don't know. I mean, I, every time I open the Word, I mean, sometimes I just I read and I get bored. Maybe you should talk to somebody who can help you. A small group leader can help you enjoy Scripture, know where to start in Scripture, and actually learn how to enjoy being in the presence of God. You've heard it said before, anything worth doing usually isn't easy. Dalton, you're doing the internship right now. Has it been easy? 
But did the Lord call you to do it? And are you growing through it? Okay. Do you think, Dalton, sorry, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to interview you today, all right? Do you think, Dalton, had you not been obedient to the Lord, do you think you would have grown this year in the same way you've grown in the internship? Okay. Sam, where are you at? Sam, I hounded you for three years to lead a small group, right? <laughs> and you said yes this year. Have you grown? Has it been easy? No. But have you grown in ways leading a small group that you would have never grown had you said no? Okay. Esty, recently you got plugged into Brianna's small group and you're like, I've heard that you are an invitation phenom, right? Like, right? You invite everybody to small group. You're this, and, and every once in a while, do you just, is it, is it hard to go to small group some weeks? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Interaction with people is overrated tonight, right? Like, I just I just need some me time. But every week you go, is it worth it? Yes. And do you learn something at small group? On the nights you really don't want to go, do you learn something at small group that you wouldn't have learned watching Netflix? Of course, <laughs> right? You see what I'm trying to get at here? This is a slow-cooked faith. The lie that God just wants things to be easy is a lie. It's going to lead us to a microwave faith. The second lie is that God just wants me to be happy. Now, this is a confusing one. Because surely God wants me to be happy. Yes, he does. He wants you to be happy. But you know that that's not God's primary goal for your life is to just make you feel happy. His primary goal for your life is to make you whole. And to lead you into your God-given destiny. See, we confuse happiness with contentment often. And happiness has been equated in our culture to be something that means me getting what I want, when I want, how I want it, and I'm happy. That's not God's goal. God's goal is not to give you what you want, when you want, and how you want it. His goal is to help you and lead you into contentment in whatever the circumstance. Do you see the difference between those two things? Jeroboam says, here are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. That's interesting. Those were not the gods that brought them out of Egypt. No, Jeroboam gets them to focus on freedom instead of focusing on the truth of what brought them into that freedom. See the difference in that? You see... Microwave faith just says, I just want to do what makes me feel happy in this moment. A slow-cooked faith says, I am going to pursue truth. And that truth is going to set me free. Even when that truth is telling me to do something that I don't necessarily agree with or want to do. Here are the gods that gave you freedom and also they won't make you do anything that you don't want to do. Why? Because they were false gods. That's what made them attractive to the people. Here are the gods that gave you freedom. And guess what? These gods don't talk. These gods don't give you instruction. They haven't written down anything in the word. They will not interact with you. They're just going to let you do your own thing. 
And isn't that the type of faith that we want? I want freedom, and I want it my way when I want it. We all know that if God actually operated that way, that would be a terrible parenting strategy, wouldn't it? It's like these parents who are like, I just want to be my kids' friends, right? That doesn't go well, right? Yeah, I mean, we could be friends with our moms and dads, but if our moms and dads let us act any way we wanted to act whenever we wanted to act that way, we probably would have turned out like, like terrible human beings, right? Good parents say, no, 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 I am going to give, yes, I want to shepherd you, I want to love you well, I want to guide you, but I'm not going to just let you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, because I have a plan for you, and it is not to harm you, but to prosper you. I have, a, I have good things in your future, and I want you to experience good things. And there's some things that you don't know that I do, and I want to guide you into that truth. And yes, when I take that when I take that thing away from you and I say, no, you cannot play with my machete, and then you cry, right? Ah! I was playing with that machete. It was like, oh, okay, here you go, right? It would be a bad parenting move, right? And yet that's what we get mad at God so often when he says, hey, give me that. That's going to hurt you. And we cry and we throw a temper tantrum and we say, God, that's not fair. That machete was making me happy, right? You don't understand how happy machetes make me, God, right? You don't understand how happy that guy made me. You don't understand how happy that girl made me. And God's looking at us like, I'm, I, I know it hurts. I know it stings. And it hurts me to see you hurting, but it would hurt me more to see you step into the destruction that that young lady or that young man was going to bring into your life if you continued down that path. When I was in college, and I've told this story before, but I want to tell it again. I, when I was in college, my, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And it was a rough time in my life. And I remember sitting down in my campus pastor's office. And I was telling him about it. He asked me how I was doing. And he asked me an incredibly interesting question that kind of like shook me at the time. He said, Steve, you know, what he was supposed to say is, what he was supposed to come to me, he was supposed to be like, you know, Steve, God's got this. And then like insert seven other Christian cliches here, right? Like, just be faithful, brother. And God is faithful, right? And all those things are true. But he knew that that's not what I needed to hear. He knew that I already knew all those things, right? And so when he looked at me, he didn't say, you know, the Lord's going to just give you peace no matter what, right? He said, he looked at me, he said, Steve, are you going to be mad at God if your mom dies? Like, what? <laughs> you just use mom and die in the same sentence, Pastor Brad. Last time I checked, that's not very inspirational, right? What are you doing? Why did, why did Brad ask me that question? Because he wanted to make sure that my faith wasn't microwave faith. That my love and my passion 
And my commitment level to the Lord was not dependent on a circumstance of whether or not God answered this prayer the way I wanted him to answer this prayer in a manner and in a timeline that I wanted him to answer this prayer. Are you going to be mad at God if your mom dies? I said, Brad, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. He goes, Steve, I want you to give some long, hard thought to that question. And I'm going to pray with you and believe with you for a miracle in your mom's life. But I'm going to stand beside you no matter what happens. That question really changed my life as a sophomore in college because I started to realize, man, am I in love with God, what God does for me, or am I just in love with God? God just wants me to be happy is a lie of microwave faith. Yes, God wants to give you peace and contentment. He wants to lead you into a destiny that's going to be an incredible, incredible thing. But let's not confuse the difference between those two things. And the third and final lie is God just, God only wants me to do what feels right. This is similar to that second point, but I wanted to touch on this because when Jeroboam sets up this altar in Dan and in Bethel, he essentially, it says that he brings people in from the surrounding areas. The countries to the nations to the north of northern Israel were foreign countries that served foreign false gods. And so what he did is he said, listen, because this is our area, because this is the, the, the place that we're living and the time that we're living in, let us be relevant to those around us and do what feels right with the culture that we are currently in. Don't we do that often? We surround ourselves with people that maybe think differently than we do. And slowly we become convinced that, I don't know, maybe uh, that kind of feels like that might be right. Truth quickly becomes relative. And we end up worshiping in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Often... Our culture tells us to listen to our hearts, right? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. You see, when we do what feels right, rather than going back to the standard of truth in Scripture, really what we're doing, we're doing exactly what Jeroboam did. We are making up our own religion. He said, we're going to worship God in this way with these people and at these different times, and I've watched so many people go down this road. And Anna, you can come back up. I've watched so many people go down this road. They get to a command or they get to something, they're like, I don't know, this just sounds really, really difficult. A young lady in, in Aaron's small group had gotten saved last year, and at the midway through the semester, uh, in Aaron's small group, and I share this with her permission, but midway through the small group, one of the things she said was, uh, they were they were talking through, like, what, what did the Lord do in your life this semester? And this young lady, a new believer, had just come, really just made a decision to follow Jesus, said this in Aaron's small group. Said, you know, one of the things I've loved is to 
embrace some of the hard truths in Scripture. I've come to love. When I come across something in Scripture that is either confusing or that just like kind of grinds against how I see the world, I've learned to embrace that and step into it and trust God's goodness. Isn't that beautiful? That's a slow cook faith. That's character development that's going to last for the rest of that young lady's life. And this particular young lady, I guarantee, is going to be serving Jesus 50 years from now. Because what that's evidence of is it's evidence of the fact that that seed fell on good soil. It's taken root and is going to produce fruit a hundredfold. And that's my desire for you guys. I know tonight's message is a little heavier, but it was on my heart, and I, I really, I don't want to shy away from the fact that this is what real faith is. And I don't know, I just think that there's too many people settling for, for microwave faith. And <laughs> my friends, like, you're going to wake up one day, and you're going to, you're going to, chomp into that prime rib and you're going to like realize like this actually doesn't taste that good. And you're going to spit out the most valuable thing you'd have ever been given which is the truth of the gospel because you had never experienced the real thing. I don't want that for you. I want you to experience the real thing. I want you to understand that even when things aren't easy, God is a God of peace. That even when I'm not happy, there's contentment found in Jesus. And even when I want to do something that feels right, I can trust the truth of Scripture because God is good and He has a good plan for me. So I have some reflection questions as I close tonight. And we're just going to take a moment to think through these things on our own. It's one thing to just listen and walk out of a room. It's another thing to actually have to digest what we talked about. And that's what this reflection time is all about. Digesting what we talked about and then applying it to our lives. So the three questions are simply this. What truth have I been avoiding just because it's hard? What have I been angry about God not doing? Or what are some things that I want him to do that he's not doing? It's a little bit of a confusing sentence. I apologize for that. And then what have I been putting trust in because it feels right? That isn't actually truth. It's something else. I want you to just take a few moments to reflect on these questions. And as you read them, I believe the Holy Spirit's just going to pick one out and say, hey, this is what I want to deal with in your life tonight. Let's spend some time doing some heart surgery in that area. And in just a couple minutes, I'll be back up to lead us into a time of closing worship and prayer.